Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, folks. Before we kick off, I have a very quick announcement. So, as you may know, at the moment I'm busy preparing for the start of my new series on the Great Famine, which will be beginning in mid-January 2017. To be honest, I'm really excited and a bit daunted by it, but I have lots of new and interesting angles that I think you're going to really like. Over the last month, I've been running a campaign asking for listeners like you to help make this series by becoming patrons of the podcast, where in return for a small monthly donation, you get lots of bonus content. So far, 95 listeners like you have pledged their support for the series and are receiving lots of exclusive content. So thanks to everyone who's got behind the series so far. Now, if you still haven't figured out what to get the history fan in your family for Christmas, this could be the perfect gift. It's a unique present that will put them at the centre of a new, exciting way of telling Irish history and will keep on giving throughout the coming year. While the podcast series itself is free, you can, for a small monthly donation, get them lots of extra unique content such as a patron's guide to each episode, exclusive monthly patrons' podcasts and much more. Just check it out today at Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Irish podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. It's really easy to join. That's patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWire and this is Letters from Dakota. In 1906, my grandaunt Molly Dwyer was only 15 years of age when she left her home in Castlecomer, County Kilkenny and emigrated to the USA. However, her emigrant experience was very different to most. Within two months, she found herself in a convent in South Dakota, training to be a nun. She would never return to the town she grew up in, save for the very occasional visit. 
However, for over 40 years, she wrote back to her brother Jack DeWire, my grandfather in Castlecomer, revealing an intriguing insight into her unusual life as an Irish emigrant. Her letters home covered everything from prohibition in the 1920s to World War II. However, she also wrote about the terrible loneliness and gave a rare insight into how people in the 1940s battled with depression. The first part of this podcast traces Molly's childhood and how she ended up in South Dakota. Then I move on to her fascinating letters. My sister Ruth is the narrator of these letters. Mary Dwyer, known to her family as Molly, was born in the town of Castlecomer, County Kilkenny, on December 20th, 1890. Molly was born the fourth child and the third daughter of a local butcher, Michael Dwyer, and his wife, Bridget. They lived in a four-roomed house above the butcher's shop at 62 Barrick Street, Castlecomer. In the sign of the very different times, this street was named after the large Royal Irish Constabulary Barracks which dominated the northern skyline in the town. Next to nothing is known of Mary's childhood at Barrick Street, other than to say the house must have been extremely crowded. While she was the fourth eldest, her mother Bridget went on to have eight more children between Mary's birth in 1890 and the arrival of the youngest child, Thomas, in 1902. By the early 20th century, her parents Michael and Bridget were now raising a family of 12 children, ranging from a newborn baby to a 15-year-old, in what can only have been cramped conditions above the shop at Barrick Street. That said, their four-roomed house was still spacious by the standards of the time. From her later letters, it seems Molly enjoyed a particularly close relationship with her oldest sibling, her brother and my grandfather Jack, and her older sister, Anastasia. Although she was only 15 years old, The year 1905 proved to be one of the most pivotal in Molly's life, and probably that of her entire family. At the end of March, her mother Bridget fell seriously ill from an internal infection, probably caused by a ruptured organ. She died aged only 40 in what was an excruciating death, one that modern surgery could have prevented. This was undoubtedly a devastating blow, leaving her husband Michael with 12 children, all under the age of 18. However, while the family reeled from the loss of their mother, it was arguably Molly whose life was changed the most. Little did she know it, but while she attended her mother's burial in the cemetery across the road from the Presentation Convent in Castlecomer, her future was bound up in another similar convent on the far side of the world. It was there Molly Dwyer would become an Irish emigrant known as Sister Genevieve. Around ten years before Molly had been born, nuns from the Irish Presentation Order had travelled to what was then the American frontier in the Dakota Territory, a vast stretch of land in the Midwest of the modern United States. It was not yet incorporated into the USA. Indeed, the Presentation Sisters had arrived with the aim of converting the Native American Sioux Nation to Christianity. This attempt floundered and the nuns then moved to the notorious settlement of Deadwood, a lawless mining camp in the Black Hills in the west of Dakota, portrayed in the HBO series of the same name. Shocked by life in Deadwood, they soon left, with one member of the order proclaiming conditions in the mining camp to be against community life, in fact life at all. By the time Molly Dwyer was born in Castlecomer in 1890, the Dakota Territory had been incorporated into the United States as two individual states, North Dakota and South Dakota. The Presentation Sisters by then had settled in two centres, 
Fargo in North Dakota and Aberdeen in South Dakota. It was in Aberdeen, located in the centre of North America, about 250 miles from the Canadian border, that Molly would spend the majority of her life. By 1900, the Presentation Sisters there had long abandoned their aim of converting the Sioux and were instead focused on educating the large numbers of white settlers then moving into the Dakotas. However, while rooted in Dakota, the order continued to rely on new recruits from Ireland to replenish their numbers. In 1899, the Mother Superior, Sister Joseph Butler, originally from Ireland, returned home to recruit novices for the order. In August that year, she set out for the USA again, bringing with her nine young ladies, aged between 17 and 20. Whether she visited Castle Comer on this occasion is not clear, but two of the nine heading to Dakota were from Kilkenny. This Sister Joseph returned seven years later in 1906, again looking for recruits, and on this occasion Molly Dewar was chosen to go. Aged only 16, she herself presumably had very little say in the matter. It may have seemed an appropriate move to take Molly from the now much-changed family home since her mother's death. Perhaps it was at the urging of the local presentation nuns in Casa Comer it was decided that Molly should be sent to Dakota. So, despite her young age, she was separated from her family and sent to the USA. For me, looking at this decision more than a century later, it seems terribly harsh. There was no financial need to send her away. Her father, Michael, was successful by this stage. She was heading to a country where she would only be able to stay in touch with her family by letter. It was literally the far side of the world. Furthermore, she was not only going to this distant country, but she was also entering a convent, a decision which would determine the rest of her life. In Dakota, Molly was going to join the Presentation Order, which would mean she would vow never to have relationships, marry or have children. This is a pretty momentous decision to take at the age of 16, and as we shall see in some of her letters home, she would hint that she may have been quite bitter about this in her later life. Whether she wanted to go or not, three months shy of her 17th birthday, she boarded a ship called the Umbria in Queenstown, today the Port of Cove, and arrived in Ellis Island, New York on September the 16th, 1906. While she can only have been sad leaving Ireland, for Molly there must have been a sense of adventure. Being one of 25 young Irish women, all bound for Aberdeen, she did have plenty of company. Their journey was immense. It took them not only across the North Atlantic, but then another 1,500 miles inland to Aberdeen. She entered the Presentation Convent in Aberdeen on October the 2nd, 1906. Three years later, in August, she would profess as a nun, taking the name Genevieve, and, in many ways, closing the chapter on her life back in Ireland forever. However, while she crossed this point of no return, she would never, ever forget her life in Castlecomer. Indeed, as we shall see, she was haunted by her childhood memories for the rest of her life. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everything about her new life in Dakota was different than what she was used to back in Castlecomer. The landscape of South Dakota, which is situated on the Great Plains, was extraordinarily flat compared to the hills that surround Castlecomer. The weather, however, was the greatest shock. Her first winter there in 1906 was one of the worst on record. Even the Freeman's Journal back in Ireland reported on November the 23rd that Aberdeen was experiencing horrendous snowstorms and the trains were even snowed in. This weather would be something Genevieve would never really get used to. Several decades later, she wrote to Catholic Homer, complaining, It's been a very cold spring, even in June. I've never witnessed rain so bad. In some places, hailstones are larger than a ball and have done terrible damage to buildings and crops. Anything is better than dust storms, terrible drought and grasshoppers. The latter haven't shown up yet as rain destroys their eggs. Having grown up in the mild, if wet, climate back in Ireland, Genevieve never adjusted to this very different climate in South Dakota. Indeed, the weather was always a common theme in her letters home. Even after several decades, she would write, It's been very cold for the past three weeks. 35 degrees below zero. While the bitter cold was one thing, she also faced the extreme summer heat. In June 1929, she wrote back to Castlecomer telling, We're having terrific heat just now. 100 degrees in the shade and 120 in the sun. One will never get immune to it. This must have been stifling for a woman coming from an Ireland where the average summer temperature is 60 degrees. Furthermore, Genevieve must have been sweltering in her nun's habit consisting of an elaborate veil and long black tunic which covered her entire body save her face. The climate wasn't the only aspect of life in the USA that Genevieve found difficult. This was obvious from her earliest surviving letter which dates from September the 3rd 1926 written after a visit back to Ireland. Genevieve at this point had been in the USA 20 years longer than she had ever lived in Ireland yet she was still not comfortable in her adopted home. She recalled the experience as the ship from Ireland docked in New York. As we reached New York, there wasn't even a song sung or a cheer given. Everyone seemed so depressed leaving old Ireland. Priests and all seemed to have that lonely feeling. It was surely a different spirit when we reached Ireland. Nevertheless, she did enjoy the journey back to Dakota in that late summer of 1926, as she passed through New York and then Chicago. She also visited Niagara Falls in upstate New York, which she described as Niagara Falls was simply marvellous. However, while there were large Irish communities there, and even in her words, Sure half a comer was in New York. She never really warmed to big American cities. She had this to say about Chicago. The streetcars run all night in front of the door. It is impossible to sleep. It's one great rush. This was a far cry from life back home. I'd never care to live here with all its flair and amusement. There's never one as happy as me in Ireland. This longing for home never left her. Nearly two decades later, in the mid-1940s, 
and almost forty years since she had first left Ireland, she would write again to her brother Jack, my grandfather. Jack, every day something reminds me of home. The loneliness at times is terrible. Don't ever think I'm unhappy. No, but that home longing is always there. I'd be happy there living on potatoes and salt. You've never been away from home, so you'll never experience that. A recent survey has claimed that the thing most 21st century Irish emigrants miss about Ireland is potato crisps, which are an Irish brand of potato chips. However, in the early 20th century, this Irish nun coming from a butcher's family missed Irish bacon. In 1929, some of the nuns in South Dakota were on a visit back to Ireland and Sister Genevieve, still in Dakota, wrote to her brother Jack, my grandfather, then a butcher himself in Castlecomer. Jack, you send me three pounds of Irish bacon. Make it up in small. Package it in oil paper so it won't look too big. This is all I want now. This was followed up by another letter only two weeks later where she reminded him, Don't forget to send me the piece of bacon. Be sure and tell her the package is for me. Parcel it real nice and tidy. While she was frequently lonely, she nevertheless got on with life and some of her letters from the 1920s in particular are full of great insights into life in the United States at the time. Some of the anecdotes are pretty funny. When she returned to the USA in 1926 after a visit home, she was entering a country where alcohol was banned under the infamous prohibition laws. She had a bizarre encounter with customs officials. She takes up the story. Mrs Duffy met us at the dock. We were there about two and a half hours trying to get my baggage and have it inspected. He went through mine a little bit. We had to write on slips before handing the content and the value. We were allowed ten dollars worth. I met one of the brothers and put the XXX in my bosom. It must have been boiling point when I took it out. We laughed more over that. I left the stocking around it. I can only assume the XXX she's referring to must be alcohol being brought back for some of the Castlecomer people living in New York. No one would surely have suspected a nun of being a bootlegger. Indeed, the later 1920s seems to have been one of the happiest times in her life. By 1928, she had moved from Aberdeen to Woonsocket, a small town in South Dakota. She would spend the coming years teaching here and in another nearby town called Mitchell. This seems to have been one of the happiest times in her life. I like my place here just fine. All I have is 20 kitties, so I'm enjoying it fine. This may have been due to a new friend. She mentions few people from South Dakota in her letters, but seems to have struck up a friendship with the local parish priest, Father Kelly, who was from Ireland and was related to her new sister-in-law, her brother Jack's wife, also called Molly. Nevertheless, even in those times, she was not completely at peace. Like so many emigrants, she was constantly thinking of life back in Ireland, and when a bitter dispute broke out between her brother Jack some of her siblings and their father in the late 1920s, this seems to have constantly played on her mind. While the details of this are lost to history, she frequently wrote asking for news and offering advice to her brother Jack. This seems to have been a very difficult time for her. She was clearly deeply affected by the family dispute, but could do very little as she was so far from home. While there is a flurry of letters around this time in the later 1920s, there's an eight-year gap before anything else survives until the late 1930s. Presumably she had continued to write, but for one reason or another, these letters were never kept by my grandparents. The next letter that survives is from 1938, when Genevieve was 48. The person that emerges in this correspondence seems somewhat different from the Genevieve that had written the earlier letters. Definitely a lonelier person. 
In the early 1920s, her brother Jack, my grandfather, had married my grandmother, Molly Brennan, a farmer's daughter from outside Castlecomer. While she had not known Molly Brennan when she lived in Castlecomer, the increasingly isolated Genevieve seems to have confided in her new sister-in-law, as she does not seem to have had many friends in Dakota. For example, in 1938, Genevieve confided, I had several years ago a nervous collapse. Couldn't concentrate. If I did, I fell off in a dead faint anywhere I had chance to be. I tried to hide from the doctor its cause, in worry of being misunderstood. At this point, she went on to talk about the presentation mother house in Aberdeen, where she now lived. And in reference to her depression, she painted a sad picture of internal life in the convent. There's no sympathy in a convent. I just braved it and prayed. She then voiced a fear that many people suffering from depression had in the early 20th century, that is, that they would be incarcerated. Genevieve said she was concerned. I'd have to be sent to a sanatorium for nervousness, but I rallied out of it. She then offered words of advice to her family back in Castlecomer about depression. Don't keep trouble in your own mind. Give it out, otherwise it'll be bad for you. A sound body brings a sound mind. Gradually it'll wear away. Take much rest and lots of air. Get out and visit with someone. Sociability is great and take much nourishment and soon you'll find yourself purified again. The isolation and loneliness that prompted her to write home about her problems was also seen again when she went through the menopause, often referred to as the change. Genevieve wrote back to my grandmother Molly, saying, Oh, the change surely is awful. I'm going through the ordeal. Such a lapse of memory as I have, and don't mention the nerves. It's awful to say the least, but I keep on at the school teaching. And inevitably, what seems to have been an increasing unhappiness with life surfaced. I live in the past and the drudgery of the last 34 years out here. While she clearly wasn't happy in the convent, her isolation was undoubtedly heightened because, like so many emigrants, after nearly 40 years, Genevieve found it increasingly difficult to maintain ties with people back home. While in some respects she never moved on, life in Castlecomer had changed and people she knew were dying. She noted how she heard little from the nuns since Sister Ursula died. And she even said of her own siblings, There is one genuine fault with all of them. It's letter writing. Overall, her convent life seems to have been very sheltered in many respects. She had lived through the Wall Street crash and the Great Depression of the 1930s, but mentioned neither. However, by the 1940s, she could not ignore the chaos that had erupted in 1939 with the onset of World War II. By the summer of 1942, the Japanese had bombed Pearl Harbor and the United States had declared war. Genevieve was concerned about her family back in Ireland, even though Ireland was neutral. This time, writing to her brother, my grandfather Jack, she said, I had written you several times. I thought something terrible had happened. World War II overshadowed everything and this seems to have worried her. She continued, Glad everyone's doing well in spite of the conditions. I hope before the approach of winter there'll be peace. Surely the devils are let loose. As the apocalypse says, before the end, then a great peace and return to the fold. She also noted the impact the war was having on religious life in South Dakota, adopting a somewhat apocalyptic tone. More returning to the church than Hitler and co ever dreamed of. The law of retribution is in God's hand now and sin must be punished. I read little of war as it gets on my nerves. Should the worst come, we can face it. In these letters, Genevieve also talked about the darkest aspect of life in America during World War II. 
That is the treatment of Japanese Americans. Hundreds of thousands of completely innocent Japanese Americans were interned in camps across the USA. Genevieve wrote home, and these are her words. About a mile from here, concentration camps for Japs are being erected. She showed little sympathy for this flagrant attack on thousands of innocent people interned for no reason. Indeed, she only continued, But they'll be well guarded. What camp she's referring to in these letters is not clear, because there was none built in Aberdeen, as far as I'm aware. In this period, she also shared some of the widely held paranoid fears around communism, which would later fuel the Cold War. I look for trouble within, too, as communists are strong and have many key positions. By this point, Genevieve herself was very much a changed woman. For over 30 years after leaving Castlecomer, she had signed off her letters as Molly, but in the 1940s, she changed and began to write her name as Sister Genevieve. Why she adopted this formal tone with her family is not clear, but a sad and lonely figure emerges in these later letters. She seems to have felt increasingly alienated in America. When she heard my uncle Michael was thinking of becoming a priest, she said, I hope he'll never come out here. All want the native, both in priests and nuns. Former days are over with. I'd prefer to see him in China, but not here. Indeed, it's hard not to suspect that she may have been reflecting on her own life, in part at least, when she encouraged my grandfather to display caution with my uncle Michael and his potential vocation for the priesthood. I wonder has he a vocation. Be careful here and don't talk him into it. He and his teachers will know if he has. Let him do his own thinking. I have many reasons for saying this, Jack. Many, many a priest has gone the other way. Why? Because the home folks wanted him to be a priest. Didn't have the gumption to say what he thought. Went in, and now if they could see the result. It's awful, to say the least. I've seen much of it here. Another letter survives from February 1943, and while the war hadn't ended, by Christmas the tide had turned. The USA were starting to get the upper hand in the Pacific Ocean, while the Soviet Union had defeated the German 6th Army at the Battle of Stalingrad, spelling the beginning of the end of Nazi Germany. However, in spite of these major events, Genevieve's concerns relating to the war were the more mundane and local. Tea was very difficult to get in Castlecomer, and my grandfather Jack had written to her, asking her to post some back to Ireland. However, she said, Since rationing of the tea, nothing of its kind may be sent abroad. If the ban is lifted, you'll get it. Era, being neutral, cannot receive anything of this sort. But she returned to the constant theme of loneliness again, when the topic of my grandparents' children came up. Never urge the children to come out here. This is not a missionary country any more. And like other countries, the native is cherished, no matter other contributions, especially so where religious are concerned. If they want to enter anywhere, better stay at home, or the Orient is preferable, or Australia. The native she is referring to in this letter is not Native Americans, but rather white people born in America, as opposed to people like Genevieve, born overseas. The next surviving letter is from several years later in 1948, and this was very different and abrupt in tone. You will be surprised to hear Sister Genevieve died this morning about one o'clock. She is perfectly conscious to the last, except four or five minutes before death. She received anointing and the priest was there all along. She asked the Blessed Mother to take her, as she suffered considerably for the past week, especially. I know she is much better off to be freed from all that pain. You have my sincere sympathy in the loss of your dear, loved sister and our friend. I hope you are all keeping well during this cold weather. It is very cold here at present. May God's blessing be with your family always. I remain 
Yours in sympathy, Sister Claire. This blunt letter that emphasises Genevieve's suffering was presumably little comfort to my grandparents. She had not been well and had stopped teaching two years earlier in 1946 due to ill health, despite being only 56 years of age. Genevieve Mary Dwyer was buried in the Sacred Heart Cemetery in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Despite receiving a guard of honour from former pupils, no one who knew her from her life in Castlecomer, the one she seems to have longed to return to all her life, could attend the funeral. It was simply too far to travel. A picture of her headstone was later sent to Castlecomer. There was one more letter to Castlecomer from South Dakota, which arrived three years later on September the 21st, 1951, addressed to my grandmother. Dear Mrs. Dwyer, what words of mine can adequately express the sympathy I feel for you in this, your sad bereavement? Through your local newspaper, the Kilkenny Journal, we learned of the death of your dear husband. This letter, about the death of Genevieve's brother Jack, my grandfather, ended her connection with South Dakota. Genevieve Mary Dwyer had been born in 1890 and died in South Dakota in 1948. She only lived in Ireland for 16 years, but the following 42 years in South Dakota appear to have been lived in the lonely shadow of her childhood experiences. She was an eternal emigrant longing to return home, never really feeling at ease in her adopted country of the United States. Indeed, in one of her final letters, she had written, I have one desire to see home again. The older we get, the more we long to see it. And this in many ways symbolised her life as an emigrant. That's where I'm going to leave the show for today, folks. Don't forget, if you want to check out how to become a patron or get someone a pretty unique Christmas present, that address is patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. Next week, I'll be back with a Christmas special. Until then, Sloan. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.